It's quiz time. If you died today, would you go to heaven? Raise your hand. Oh, good. I like that. I like that. It looks like uh, most of us have settled that question. And the Apostle Paul made it, or Apostle John, I'm sorry, made it possible for us to answer that question without hesitation. I love seeing those hands fly up. I love that. I love that. He made that clear to us in the letter that we're studying together. In 1 John 5, 13, he said, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. We know we have eternal life because we know who Jesus is. We know we have eternal life because we know we have a saving relationship with the Son of God. And we know we have eternal life because it's been given to us as a gift. It's not something we have to earn. We know who Jesus is because he had the witness of water, blood, and the Spirit. His identity was made evident at his baptism and his crucifixion by the Spirit of God. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, was the voice heard from heaven. And our relationship with Christ is witnessed by our baptism, our partaking of his blood in communion, and by the fruit of the Spirit that can be seen in our life. The Spirit, the water, and the blood, these three, all bear witness to who Jesus is and who we are. And because of that, we can say with confidence, if we were to die today, we would go to heaven. Well, now I have another question for you. If you ask God for something today, would you get it? Let's see your hands. Whoops. <laughs> hmm. Okay, we've got some work to do here. We're not so sure of that one. But we should be. If we continue on from verse 13, we read, And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests to which we have asked from him. John makes it clear that we can have confidence before God and the assurance of answered prayer. This is the confidence which we have before him. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we've asked from him. Now, you may have noticed I left something out that time. We have the assurance of answered prayer if we ask anything, what? According to his will. There is a condition to the promise, as is true with all of God's promises. Our assurance of answered prayer is conditional. 
Just as our assurance of eternal life is conditioned by following His will, so is our assurance of answered prayer conditioned by seeking after His will. We will get what we ask for if we pray according to God's will. So if you ask God for something today, would you get it? You can answer with a confident yes if you're committed to only asking for things that are within the will of God. That's the first condition to answered prayer. Again, and this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, to that, some might respond, so why pray? You know, I thought prayer was asking for what I wanted. What's the point of praying if all I can get is what God wants? Well, while most of us are not so rash as to assume God is like a genie in a bottle who grants their every wish, most of us do tend to think of prayer as a way to get what we want. But that's not true. Prayer is not a way of getting God to do what you want, some magical occultic formula for getting a divine being to grant your requests. Prayer is a means of obtaining the will of God. Robert Law, the author of one of the finest commentaries ever written on 1 John, put it well when he wrote, Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. Even Epictetus, a pagan philosopher, understood this. At the turn of the first century, he wrote, Have courage to look up to God and say, Deal with me as thou wilt from now on, for I am one with thee. I am thine. I flinch from nothing so long as thou dost think it is good. Lead me where thou wilt. Put on me what raiment thou wilt. Wouldst thou have me hold office or eschew it? Flee or stay? Be rich or poor, for all this I will defend thee before men. Wow. Now you may notice a difference between that and the prayer of a Christian girl on her wedding day. Dear God, I can hardly believe that this is my wedding day. I know I haven't been able to spend much time with you lately, you know, with all the rush of getting ready for today, and I'm sorry. I guess, too, that I feel a little guilty when I try to pray about all this since Larry still isn't a Christian. But, oh, Father, I love him so much. What else can I do? I couldn't give him up. Oh, you must save him some way, somehow. I know how much or you know how much I've prayed for him and the way we've discussed the gospel together. I've tried not to appear too religious, I know, but that's because I didn't want to scare him off. Yet he isn't antagonistic and 
I can't understand why he hasn't responded. Oh, if he only were a Christian. Ah, dear Father, please bless our marriage. I don't want to disobey you, but I do love him, and I want to be his wife. So please be with us. And please don't spoil my wedding day. <laughs> well, that sounds like a sincere, earnest prayer, but if it's stripped of its fine, pious language, what it's really saying is something like this. Dear Father, I don't want to disobey you, but I must have my own way. I'm going to marry Larry whether you like it or not. I do hope you can convert him because I'd like to have a Christian home, but I'm going to marry him anyway. Now, be a good God and bless my marriage, and by all means, don't spoil my wedding day. <laughs> Obviously, that's not the kind of prayer that honors God. And even pagans understood that. Prayer is an act of submission to the will of God. It's an expressed desire to see God's will be done on earth and a request for the privilege of having a part in seeing that His will is done. If that's our understanding of prayer and we are in tune with His will, we can be assured that what we ask will be done. But again, some might ask, why bother? Why pray? Won't God's will be done whether I pray for it or not? Not necessarily. Much that is within the will of God doesn't just happen. He often depends on His people to play a role in bringing about His will. 1 Timothy 2.4 makes it clear that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we are commissioned to do something to make that happen. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In some respects, prayer is like ordering something online. <laughs> Almost anything can be ordered. But if you order something that's not available, you won't get it. Well, God has made available everything we need to accomplish His will. And as long as our order is in keeping with His will, delivery is guaranteed. But we still have to place the order. But what if you're not sure about something? You haven't seen it listed, but it might be available. Can you still place an order for it? Of course you can. God has told us to make our requests known. However, if you're not sure about something, qualify your request by asking that His will be done in the matter. 
Let him decide if your request should be granted. You know, we all pray about things we're not sure about. But we can always be sure that if we request his will to be done, it will be done. So yes, if you are in fellowship with God and his desires have become your desires, whatever you ask will be done for you because you will only ask for things you know are within his will or when asking for something you're not sure about, you'll make it clear that you only want it if it's within his will. Either way, either way, all we want is for his will to be done, and it will be done. If we desire it to be done and are willing to play our role in getting it done, at least it will be done in matters that affect only us. If it affects someone else, we must acknowledge they also have a part to play in getting it done. And I believe that's the point of what John says next. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not leading to death. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> What's he talking about here? You know, admittedly, John is saying something here that is really hard to understand. And not everyone understands a sin not leading to death and a sin leading to death the same way. Some see here a reference to God using physical death to discipline his people as he did when Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant and when Ananias and Sapphira lied about their contribution. They say this is merely an acknowledgement that if God decides to take someone's life as a punishment for sin, prayer won't stop it. Well, there's no doubt that's true. But I don't think that's the point John is making. Others see here a distinction being made between mortal and venial sins, suggesting some sins can be forgiven and others cannot. That if someone has committed a mortal sin, he's doomed, and it would do no good to pray for him. But those categories are not found in the Bible. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear that any sin other than blasphemy against the Spirit can be forgiven. And, and if I'm right, blasphemy against the Spirit is a denial of what God can do, resulting in refusal to accept what God offers. All sin is forgivable. If forgiveness is sought through Christ and is accepted in a biblically ordained manner. John's not suggesting there are two types of sin, those that are forgivable and those that aren't. 
What he's saying is that there are times when sin leads to death and times when it doesn't. Now, all sin does lead to death, spiritual death, and eventually our physical death because of sin in the world. But it leads to death, at least on a spiritual level, if it's unrepented. If it's unrepented. But no sin will lead to spiritual death, separation from God, if it's been forgiven. I think the point John is making here is that we must consider our brother's will when praying for him. That God won't force his will upon him any more than he will force his will upon us. And it is our brother who's in view here, a fellow Christian. One who at least at one point in his life has accepted the forgiveness offered through Christ. I think John is telling us that if we see our brother stumble, if we see him slip and fall, we can intercede for him. And that if he sinned inadvertently or because of a momentary weakness, we can confidently ask God to forgive him. We shouldn't just stand back and let sin take its course in his life and watch him struggle through the consequences of his sin. Nor should we let sin mushroom in his life, just just hoping that he'll come to his senses and, and repent. We can intercede for him. We can go to our Heavenly Father on his behalf. We can even ask that he not hold our brother's sin against him because we're convinced he didn't mean it. We know him. And if that's true, God will honor that prayer. It's God's will that all men repent, and he wants to forgive everyone. If he knows a sinner is repentant and has a desire to do better, he will forgive him. And if we're concerned enough to pray for him and willing to help him, we can rest assured our prayer for him will be answered. This is certainly an encouragement to pray for one another and watch out for one another. But again, there's obviously a limit to what we can do in someone else's life. If the brother has turned his back on the things of God and has intentionally chosen a life of rebellion, we may not be able to do anything to bring him back. Even God won't force someone to come back against his will. It's God's will that all men be saved, that all men accept forgiveness he's made possible through Christ, but all, not all men will be saved because not all men choose to accept forgiveness. Some don't see a need for it and don't want it. And some, even, even after accepting it, later reject it. In those cases, their sin, if it remains unrepented, will lead to death. And there's nothing we nor God can do to stop it. We might be able to encourage them to repent, and we should warn them where they're heading. We can even pray that the Holy Spirit convict them of their sin and ask that He convict them concerning judgment to come. 
We can ask God to open their eyes and let them see the foolishness of living in disobedience to the God who loves them. But if the brother, brother refuses to repent, death, eternal death, will result from his sin, and we won't be able to stop it. The bottom line is sometimes we don't get what we want in prayer, even when it's God's will, because the one we're praying for refuses to submit to the will of God. And in those cases, we don't have the assurance of answered prayer, because even God's will can be thwarted by the free will He's given to mankind. God won't force us or anyone else to do His will. But, but, we can be assured that if we're praying for God's will to be done, and the one we're praying for is open to the will of God, it will be done. We can therefore pray confidently for ourselves, and we can pray confidently for one another. Within the limits of free will, we do have the assurance of answered prayer. And on that basis, I am praying for you confidently, and I trust you're praying confidently for me.